Welcome to MBA in a Day, a brief, deep, and easy to understand place to get and apply important business concepts and principles, the same that are taught in top-tier MBA programs. I'm Professor Strausser, and in the 25 years that I've been teaching in elite MBA programs, I've noticed folks like doctors, attorneys, engineers, scientists, nonprofit executives, small business people, entrepreneurs, folks that are already well-educated, already smart, but may not have had the kind of business training that they need to be successful in their business or practice. So whether you're listening to this in your car, while commuting to or from work, on a plane, at the gym, on the beach, or just want to learn about business, let's get started with this episode's exploration of critical business concepts. One of the most often heard terms that are used in business today and in organizations is this idea of innovation. It's a very elusive thing. It's more about a process than an event. We often think about innovation as uh, something like a lightning bolt. Voila, there is some innovation. And actually, companies that are associated with a high degree of innovation have baked into their culture this idea of continually coming up with new ways of doing things, new products, new services, new processes. Let's take a look at what it takes to develop this uh, somewhat elusive culture of innovation. So when we think about innovation, we really can think of it in three different terms. There's a taxonomy related to it. The one that we commonly think about is uh, product and service innovation, that is innovation that brings us those new products, those new services that especially as consumers, we seem to uh, gravitate to and uh, want to be the first on the block to try something. But there's also the idea of organizational innovation, and that is how do companies innovate in the way that they do things as an organization? We've seen the development over the years of the idea of an virtual organization, that is an organization where all of the people in that organization don't necessarily work in the same place and collaborate, do their work together remotely, sometimes in some sort of a hybrid fashion where some days of the week they're in the office, some days of the week they're working remotely. So we see this form of organizational innovation fairly recently. We can also look at the idea of how do we innovate the processes that we perform in our organization. So innovation isn't always just about products. It can be the way we make those products. So, for instance, uh, the use of robotics over the last 20 or 30 years has definitely innovated the manner in which we make things. We hear this term innovation, we're really talking about several different things. But let's drill down to the one that most of us associate with innovation. That is, how do we develop new products and new services in an organization? Well, to begin with, relatively few things are actually new to the world products or services. When you think about what 
you associate with innovation, it is more likely to be an improvement of something rather than something that is brand spanking new to the world. We also have innovation in the form of products and services that create their own categories. Many years ago, the Chrysler Automobile Company was having some issues in profitability and new product development, and a fellow named Lee Iacocca, who uh, had been at Ford and innovated the Ford Mustang, developed a new category of vehicle, the minivan. The minivan was somewhat in between a truck-based van and a station wagon. The key target market was moms who did not like the awkwardness and the uh, difficulty in driving a big old van that was mounted on a truck chassis, yet they needed more capacity for all those soccer matches and kids and more than a station wagon could provide. So this category, the minivan, was considered a big innovation. So it was simply a new category of something. We also see a lot of innovation in the form of extensions, line extensions. So that is, we develop a successful product, and then we might develop a different version of that product, or we might develop that same product, slightly modify it for a different uh, market. Much of what we think about as product innovation really is in the form of improvements, making something better. So classic example I would use is the iPod. Well before Apple introduced the iPod, there was a plethora of portable music playing devices, the Walkman, Sony Walkman, for instance. Yet the operation of those devices was rather cumbersome. And the way that Apple really improved that product was the ease in which music could be transferred to that portable device. So the iPod, though considered a big innovation, was really simply a product improvement of, of the MP3 music player. So if you want to take a look at some interesting repositionings, which is another form of innovation, just take a look at Cadillac. For many, many decades, Cadillac was kind of an old fuddy-duddy car. It was the car that if you were a successful doctor or lawyer, uh, you were driving a Cadillac. Cadillac's demographics was clearly over 40, probably over 50. And today, if you look at the positioning, you look at the styling, you look at the advertising, a lot of Cadillac advertising today is a repositioning into a performance car, and also a car that has uh, some uh, appeal to, to women. Another repositioning that is pretty cool is the repositioning of Shinola as a brand. So many of us uh, have grown up with the idea that Shinola is a product you use to shine your shoes, and it's been around forever, and yet this brand has been repositioned to be kind of a mini luxury product line. 
is based in Detroit, which is also very innovative. And the company has very successfully located in what was a pretty problematic part of downtown Detroit, has trained many people, at-risk workers who otherwise would not be very productive economically. They manufacture watches and leather goods and all kinds of products under the Shinola brand. So we have a very clear repositioning that's taken place with this very old and very well-recognized old brand. We associate innovation with creativity, the fact that to be innovative, we want to come up with some new things. But we often have some misconceptions about what creativity is all about. For a lot of us, we self-censor when we think about creativity. We tell ourselves, oh gosh, you know, nobody's going to think this is cool. Uh, I'm not even going to bring it up. I don't want to be, I don't want to embarrass myself. The I'm not creative and self-censoring really comes into play in this notion of creativity. We also have, especially in larger organizations, the idea if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why mess with something? The problem with that thinking is that if you're not going to come up with a new way of doing things for an old product or service, somebody else is. And then very often we get into this idea of constructive criticism about creativity when it's really used as a way of snarkiness to co-workers who develop new ideas. One of the things that you might want to do just to test out your notion of creativity and, and how we need to look at it maybe a little bit differently is to sit down for about a minute and draw a house with a, just a plain piece of paper and a pencil and take about a minute to draw a house. What I think you're going to find is that after that minute or so, if you look at that house, it's going to be pretty elementary. And further, if you were to go back to your childhood home where the things that you drew as a little kid uh, and that maybe your mom has kept in a scrapbook and you find everybody draws a house when they're a kid. If you look at the house that you drew when you were three to five years old, it would bear a striking resemblance to the house that you just drew. The takeaway from that is that in terms of creativity, we are very creative when we are kids. And then when we're about five to six years old, our creativity curve really falls off and flattens. And the question is, what happens when we're five or six years old? Well, what happens when we're five or six is we go to school and we start learning the right way of doing things. And we start becoming rather uniform and fixed in what is the right way, what's the wrong way. And there's, there's nothing real wrong with that. I mean, we need to understand fundamentals and principles and things like that. But most of our playful creativity that we have very naturally as kids, young kids, is um, kind of pushed out of us as we go through our formalized education, K through 12 and then beyond. So when you go to so-called creative 
organizations like in Silicon Valley, and you walk into their headquarters, you th would think that you're on the uh, playground at recess or at an elementary school. What these companies have been doing is trying to regain that almost childlike sense of creativity, and then that creativity can be applied to the uh, business model that those companies are involved in. This is being brought to you by MBA in a Day 2.0. Why spend years and $50,000 when you can get the recently updated classic business bestseller with easy to understand business principles and concepts, the same as those taught in top tier MBA programs. Listeners to this broadcast can save $5 off the $19.95 retail price by going to mbaintheday.com and entering the code MBA 2.0. There's a very well-known, uh, one of the top uh, downloaded TED Talks is by uh, Sir Ken Robinson, titled something like uh, How Schools Kill Creativity. And his argument is just that, that we, uh, we lose so much creativity because we have a very regimented approach to, uh, to learning that starts at a relatively young age. So here are some other things that we need to think about and get our heads around and consider when we talk about good ideas, that ideas appear out of nowhere. The reality is that there are processes for developing ideas. We also have this maxim that there are no stupid ideas, and that is important in the brainstorming side of things. But then you got to step back, and out of those hundred ideas, there will be many of them that are actually stupid ideas. Nonetheless, the trick is really trying to filter the good ones versus the not-so-good ones. A lot of companies simply rely on their customers to do their innovation and react to customers' suggestions and what the customers want. While this is always a good idea to be customer-focused, listen to the customer, customer-first and all that, sometimes it's not that productive. Sometimes if you do this in a bettered fashion, you're going to develop products and services that are maybe outside of your core, uh, maybe outside of your domain expertise. Uh, Henry Ford famously uh, said that if I listened to my customers, I would have built a faster horse. Customers are important, but it's also to trust your, your own instincts and your own touch with the market. Some companies think of innovation as a weekend that, you know, on the third weekend of the new year, we're going to have a retreat and all of us are going to go to this place for a day and a half and we'll generate all the ideas we need for the coming year in a meeting. Well, this might be somewhat productive the idea is that innovation really has to be part of the process of an organization. It has to be baked into the kind of the DNA of the organization. Another misconception, getting ideas isn't the problem, implementing them is. Well, yes, implementation has always been 
the trick in innovation. You know, we can generate a lot of ideas, but what's missing really in between the generating ideas and the implementing is the really important part, and that is the sorting and vetting of ideas. So you start out with a big pile of 100 ideas, and the trick is really whittling those down to the three or four that then you can spend the resources to properly implement. There's a creativity exercise that looks at how we tend to view words and look at patterns of things without thinking about what goes into those things. So if you look at a sentence, for instance, the cab lacked proper brakes to stop at the intersection. And I asked you, can you pick out a color from that sentence? Sentence being, the cab lacked proper brakes to stop at the intersection. So when we look at that, because of our training in reading, we tend to cluster the, the letters together and we don't really read the individual letters. We kind of do the shorthand that gets us the interpretation of the sentence. But what this exercise asks you is to find a color in that sentence. And if you look at the B and cab, and then the lacked, L-A-C-K-E-D, in the next word, it would be blacked or black. So what this is saying is that we are so used to seeing patterns that sometimes if we want to be innovative, we have to kind of break apart those patterns and look at the components of whatever it is that we're seeing. Thank you for listening to this episode of MBA in a Day. Why spend years and $50,000 when you can get the recently updated classic business bestseller with easy to understand business principles and concepts, the same as those taught in top tier MBA programs. For listeners to this broadcast, you can save $5 off the 1995 retail price by going to mbaintheday.com and entering the code MBA 2.0.